Welcome to Tone Deaf. This is your host, Tambor. And Ryan. And today we've got a special guest, Miguel from Run With It. What's up, guys? Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. How long has Run With It been together? <laughs> well, that's actually a source of contention among us. Um, each of us thinks the band started at a different time. So I started the band officially six years ago, but then we've gone through some lineup changes, and each new member thinks the band started when they joined it. <laughs> so it's it's a constant argument. So if you ask me, I'll say it actually has existed for six years, but our drummer, D. Cole, yeah. he thinks it's only been around about two and a half years. And then our bass player who just joined us uh, about a year ago, he swears, he swears that it's only been around for a year. So, so yeah, it, it, it all depends on who you're talking to. <laughs> I mean, Daniel and Ben are both wonderful people, but... Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, I will tend to side with myself on that one. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but, Run with it with but, one original uh, member. What genre would you typically say that your music fits under, if any? We kind of live in the alternative and indie pop, pop rock kind of world, uh, similar to Imagine Dragons, X Ambassadors. We get compared to those bands a lot. If people really dig Imagine Dragons or they dig X Ambassadors, they're going to dig what we do. So yeah, a lot of synth, a lot of vocal hooks, all that kind of thing, and then live it's just a ton of energy we love jumping off the of stuff and climbing off things and the joke is is how long we're going to actually spend out in the crowd as opposed to on the stage because we love just connecting as much as we can with fans out there so that's kind of where it lives we started as a uh, funk soul band six years ago at least according to me and but uh, we we've, we've morphed into trying to figure out what we do more authentically and and the alternative stuff is what started just flowing and really starting to connect with us well, do you think that you have grown musically since your first album release? Oh, yeah. Are, are you talking about the EP that we just did? I was uh, thinking more of The Weeknd. Absolutely. Um, from that, we've actually gone through a huge lineup change. The Weeknd was kind of the album that was the transition point where we had some alternative songs on it. Then we had some more soul and funk songs on there. The Weeknd was kind of like us having identity crisis. And... As we came out of that album and doing shows around that album, it's kind of this internal wrestling of like, you know, who who are we really? And I think once we found that stride and once we accepted like, okay, no, we are an alternative rock band and that's what our fans are really connecting with. That's what we connect with. Uh, that's where we grew, I think, a ton. And we just having different players in changes it as well. Daniel Cole's a monster drummer. So that was a great addition to it and then our bass player he plays like everything on on stage he has like two keyboards bass guitar a violin and uh we're trying to figure out what other instrument we can add to him because we don't think he's busy enough but but yeah i think musicianship we've grown we just released our last our next album or the one after the weekend um this past spring and that debuted at number 66 on the itunes alternative charts and so for us that was a great leap uh where the weekend barely made a splash this particular one it's called how to start a fire really came out the gate swinging which was really fun to see and uh, honestly so i wrote 60 songs for that album uh we landed on six and we're we're currently working on our next album in the band we've gone to nashville several times now just to really dig in and figure out how we can grow more so uh, I'm excited to finally to eventually release this next one because we think at least we've grown in our songwriting and our execution even more so. Yeah, I still have my uh, cherished signed copy of The Weeknd that you, That's awesome. that you Daniel, well, and Clint signed. You should hold on to that, man. Uh, oh, yeah. We actually discontinued it. We took it down. 
for all digital sites and everything. So we will no longer sell that album. So that's like super limited edition now. <laughs> well, <laughs> I mean, I'm not planning on selling it because I enjoy it too much. But uh, well, there you go. <laughs> and uh, I actually, I think my favorite part about Run with It, because uh, you guys were the first localish band that I ever saw. Just I really liked that you guys were so willing to interact with your fans and the crowd. I didn't really know what to expect, but the first time I saw you guys, I noticed that you were wearing some uh, maroon skinny jeans and a Foo Fighters shirt, and I was like, well, this guy knows what's up, so I uh, <laughs> just decided to go up and start talking to you, and then you guys played uh, your cover of My Hero. You guys play a lot of covers in your live shows, or at least last time I saw you, you did. And they're all yeah, really it depends good. Yeah, it depends on where we're at. Uh, we were playing Washburn there when we first met you, and so when we, we do a lot of colleges, and so at colleges, it'll typically be where we start out with a chunk of covers, uh, connecting with folks, and then we'll do our live, full live original show. But it, really, over the last year, year and a half, we transitioned more and more to originals in there. But yeah, we love doing songs like from Foo Fighters, and every once in a while, we'll play a version of Girls Just Want to Have Fun, which makes it really fun. A band of three dudes pulling that song off is, uh, is a good time. So, but yeah. So you mentioned being compared to Imagine Dragons and Ex Ambassadors, but where do your influences lie? My influences are kind of all across the board, and it depends. I go in seasons. So really over the last six months, uh, Kendrick Lamar's new album, Damn, has has been played nearly every single day. There was probably a month where I listened to it two to three times a day. Before Kendrick Lamar, there was uh, The Lumineers. And that's what I typically do is I'll find like an album that I, I love and I'll listen to it over and over and glean, glean everything that I can from every lyric to the production, instrumentation. Head in the Heart is a band that I'm listening to a lot right now, as well as still Kendrick Lamar in the rotation. <laughs> so yeah, that fluctuates for me. It's interesting though, it's, I try to learn from all those different genres, but then figure out how do I apply that to who I authentically am. That's where you hear kind of what we put into the album itself. I think one of my favorite stories that you told me was that you used to be into like exclusively hardcore gangster rap. <laughs> and then the only thing that changed that for you was hearing the opening riff to the man who saved the world by Nirvana. Yeah, man. That's cool you remember that. That's awesome. Yeah, that like I was Easy E, Tupac, all those guys, the Boys in the Hood soundtrack, when all that stuff hit, like that was my life. I loved that stuff. And I really couldn't stand anything rock at that time. Uh, this is years ago, obviously, but it's just that opening riff, Man Who Sold the World, and I was just done. I was like, what is this heavenly sound? And so I tried to learn every Nirvana song I could on a guitar, and that's where it all started for me. But it's interesting is now I've kind of gone back to rap because I feel like uh, currently rap and hip-hop is the most, uh, I guess, progressive of genres now. Uh, you got Chance the Rapper, Logic, uh, Kendrick Lamar, who are putting out just these dynamic records uh, with amazing production and they're trying to make a difference you know i think that's what i love about kendrick lamar logic and chance they're all trying to say something that hopefully can change culture whether addressing depression like logic is we i talk a lot about that because that's part of my story dealing with anxiety depression ocd or racism those are all all things that we hold true to what we want to do and what we want to i guess put into who we are as a band so the original sound of Run With It was supposed to be funk soul. What 
were some of the groups that kind of inspired that portion of the band? That was kind of part of the lineup we had. Um, at the time, we had a guy named Derek Cunningham, uh, who since started his own group uh, called Soul Revival. And he was super into soul, super into funk. And our drummer was really into funk. And I was into rock. So our, our conversation was, how do we mold all this? But as we started discovering, like, I wanted to kind of take things in a different route. Uh, for me, I was the primary writer. And it was like the soul and funk just wasn't coming as naturally. And I wanted to jump around and go crazy, have a hype show where like some of the other folks just, it was just not what they wanted. It's not who they were, you know? And so our, our decision was, why don't we split off and do our own things? And so that's what ended up happening. I said, Derek went on and he started a group that's doing really well right now where they're playing out like St. Louis, playing here called Soul Revival. It's super, he gets some of the best R&B and jazz people in town to play for him. And he's got an amazing voice, you know, just kills and he's doing his thing. And we were able to kind of take this band and, and ramp it up to more of the hype, pop, rock, alternative kind of thing that we do. So yeah, that's kind of where the transition started for us. You guys have toured off and on a little bit, right? Kind of like mini tours? Yeah, we do um, anywhere from a week to two weeks at a time. In the last year and a half, we toured to the Middle East and back. So we've got to play out in Doha, Qatar. Uh, we do we hit the East Coast a ton, a lot of South. We just came back from Chicago actually yesterday, headed to Arkansas here in a week and a half. So yeah, we try to get on the road as much as we can. You're talking about when you guys went over to Qatar? We had a fan see one of our shows, and he got stationed in Doha, Qatar. And they asked him who he wanted to bring over, and he said, run with it. So so the promoters, they went and checked us out, and they were like, yeah, we want to bring him over. And uh, next thing you know, we were grabbing our passports, and we're on a flight to Amsterdam, flew into Doha, and uh, got to hang out with the soldiers out there for a few days, and then play a show for them. And uh, we're looking forward and hoping uh, to get back out that direction, because it was a blast, man, seeing, seeing what the soldiers did. Uh, they loved having people out there from home, you know, and they loved the music. That was a blast. But yeah, the last year and a half, we've, we've been hitting the road in one way or another a whole lot, on top of what we do online. Like, I had actually kind of forgotten that you guys went overseas until you mentioned it. Like, I remember seeing the post when you made it on Facebook, and I was like, wow, they're actually they're going way farther, way faster than most bands get to. Yeah, that was that was definitely a, uh, a huge thing for us. We have, uh, we have we actually have street teams, like, throughout the world. We have some in Brazil and Germany and Italy. We're building followings throughout the whole world. So our minds are set on screen internationally. And we just didn't think that our first international show would come so quick. It definitely was a surprise to us as well. <laughs> so, yeah, it, that was super cool. And our hope is next time hit more of the UAE, which is like uh, Dubai, Jordan, all that, and then hopefully get over into Europe. And uh, and then eventually we need to figure out how to get down to South America because, like I said, Brazil is one place where we have fans and they're just really digging on what we're doing. And then actually we have a small following of people who are into us from Russia as well. So... <laughs> Figure out as a band, how do we get over there and, and be able to pay for it? All those good things. So. Oh yeah, you guys haven't gotten to the point where you're just rolling in money yet. So. You know that'd be nice, but uh, definitely not there. <laughs> definitely not there yet. The street team is a really smart idea because, like, when I got the email or whatever, like, join the street team, it's like we want to just kind of cut our time getting big in half. So spread the word. And I was like, <laughs> all right, I'll do that. Yeah. Well, that was, it was cool because uh, our street team member from Chicago, she came out to the show and brought a few people with her uh, to the show we just did. I guess that was two nights ago. So more and more as we go, it's it's been cool to see people who are invested in what we're doing and us trying to figure out how can we invest in them along the way. 
helps things move so much faster. I think we're at 140, 150 members of the street team now, primarily U.S., but we have several folks out in uh, Canada, Germany, Italy, and Brazil. Yeah, it's been cool to see like our snap codes go up in like places like Germany where people are scanning in and connecting with us. We're like, wow, this is amazing. (laughs) How many viewers do you guys get on your Snapchat a day? That I don't know. Daniel Cole runs our Snap primarily. It's got to be insane. Yeah, our Snap is pretty strong as far as engaging with our fans. Oh, yeah, most definitely. I know there's people snapping us all the time, and we love snapping back, so that's pretty cool. So we were talking about the street team. So what exactly is the purpose, and what exactly does the street team do? The street team is kind of like a... Kind of like an ambassador, like they're they're our voice in different cities that um, that either we've been to, like Chicago, we've been there several times, but they can kind of keep keep pushing it. Like we have a great street team rolling in Denver right now, where even when we're not there in Denver, we have people out there helping pass out, you know, putting out a promo for us and connecting their friends and some of the people that follow them with us. Uh, it's essentially an extension of of what we're already trying to do and helps us grow in places that we're not. The main goal is eventually, especially when we do international, like the first time in Germany, it would be amazing to actually get 100 to 200 people out to a show because of the work of our street team folks. And we're already seeing them hustle and do that kind of work, which is cool. We were talking about your uh, debut album, The Weeknd, earlier, and I was just thinking about it. So do you still play songs from that album live? No, we don't. We basically retired all of that because as we were writing, like like I said, I wrote about 60 songs after the weekend so you, um, okay. and sent them to our producer. And we started carving through all the songs and trying to find the best ones. And we realized once we landed on the six that became How to Start a Fire, we realized things took a dramatic shift. Essentially, in a way, we were becoming a new band, a more focused band, musically and I think from a business perspective. And so we decided to kind of make the weekend as part of like that's part of our heritage, but it's not about who we are now, if that makes sense. Is that why you um, took your music video for the weekend off? Yeah, we, we pulled all of it down digitally. Because part of it, too, is now that we're an alternative rock band, yeah. a lot of people were still booking us with a funk band <laughs> or, like, soul band, and it just didn't make sense anymore because they would hear a song off there. Like, oh, you guys do soul. We can put you with this soul band. All those fans of the soul music are like, I like this, I guess, but I like soul music. <laughs> So for us, is just trying to make sure we solidify our identity, solidify our brand. The actual song, The Weeknd, was the hardest part of that choice because for us, we really, it's a personal story. really liked that song, felt strong about it. We knew people connected with it. Yeah. Like, but we just knew we were stepping into a new season as a band. Because that was a really personal song for you, wasn't it? Oh, yeah. Deeply personal. Because I, I think that's the, that's the hard part of all of the whole creative process where you know, like those 60 songs that I wrote basically like little babies <laughs> little babies that I helped bring into the world and then deciding to get rid of 54 of them and just put them in a folder somewhere you know some of those are hard choices <laughs> very hard choices but it's all about getting the art out there in the way that you need it to be so yeah basically just trying to figure out what's the best we can do at this moment to connect with fans connect with people and tell the story of the band and and me as a writer the best so 
Do I sense a rare tracks album coming out? <laughs> that could be cool. That's a, I don't know how much you guys know about the rap world, but NBA Youngboy is a guy who's coming up pretty strong right now. And that's what he did. His first album like kind of helped blow him up on the scene. And he just released like last week a bunch of B-sides that didn't that got cut from the first album. And like a year and a half later, he just decided to drop a bunch of them. And so we, we've actually talked about what does it look like to, to release some of those ones that never made it on the albums. That's what just have to figure out when the right moment could be <laughs> i would always be completely open to listening to b-sides in my personal experience a lot of my favorite bands their b-sides i tend to like more than songs that came out on their albums like the red hot chili peppers there's a song that didn't make it on a californication called quixotic elixir and it's probably one of the most beautiful songs that they've ever created but it never made That's it on awesome. the album so like you have that potential with the songs that didn't make it on your ep that you could have your quixotic elixir yeah, we've been kicking around ideas of what does it look like to release some, even if it's just the acoustic versions, because a lot of times I'll just record it, oh, yeah. uh, me solo on an acoustic. All the songs on our current EP I either wrote, or almost all of them, either wrote on acoustic, just solo, or on piano solo. And then from there, we began to build the instrumentation. So, yeah, we thought, we talked about it. So, we'll have to see. It might be cool to get something like that out there. I mean, a lot of your longtime fans would definitely like to hear it, too. It makes me think more so we need to figure out a way to do it one day. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, even acoustic versions would be nice because it's still something. Yeah, absolutely. That's a good idea. I dig it. Do you have anything you'd like to say to the listeners of the podcast, like any words of encouragement? Um, you know, for us, I mean, just the biggest thing for us as a band is connecting with our fans. So, like you said, we're like at our shows, we try to get out in the crowd. Um, and we're the same way. We're literally every single day talking to fans online, whether it be Instagram, Twitter, Snapchat, Insta Story, Facebook, whatever it is. For example, on our way back from Chicago yesterday, I probably spent three hours messaging people on Instagram and connecting with people. Sometimes there's like, Sometimes it takes a while for us to get to everybody just because it's starting to be a lot, <laughs> uh, which is, I guess, a good problem to have. But yeah, if anyone's ever interested, they have questions about the songs, questions about what we're doing, yeah, reach out to us. It's at Run With It Band, pretty much everything, any kind of social media platform. Other than that, I would just say if there's people out there creating, I would just say keep working. For us, it's just about putting in the time and trying to grow. Like I said, I wrote 90 songs for the next album that we're working on currently, and only eight of those songs made it on the album <laughs> that we're working on. You know, and that's the hard, brutal life if you're out there and wanting to do it. That's kind of the, the reality of it, but the payoff in the end can be really, really cool. So I know you guys are on tour right now, but do you have any shows planned for back home? November 17th, we have a big show in Kansas City. It's a benefit concert for an organization called War Child, and they work with uh, kids from war-torn countries like Syria, Sudan, and help provide relief for them. And so we're super pumped about it. It'll be our last show anywhere near this area, probably for a while. So yeah, November 17th, it's at a place called the Rhino in North Kansas City. I mean, obviously you can't see me right now, but I'm standing in the back of the Rhino currently because they have a coffee shop connected to it, and that's where I'm getting work done today. <laughs> I think we have another show, Wichita, and a show in Arkansas. A lot of everything else is just behind the scenes, working on our strategies and working on our music, this next album that we're, we got coming out. Some of those things kind of dictate when and where our shows will be. But yeah, November 17th, if you're anywhere near the Kansas City area, that'll be our last big show for a long time in this area. You bringing up that you're playing a benefit concert reminded me that <coughs> that your former bass player, Clint, left the band to open up the Bass Academy of Music. Yeah. And that, Dude, you're on it. 
I feel like it's similar to what Flea opened in Los Angeles with the Silver Lake Conservatory. It's kind of bringing music education to underprivileged kids, correct? Exactly. Yeah, he started it, man, I would say probably six, seven years ago now. He's working with students in the Kansas City area and helping resource it. It's, it's kind of all across the board. They have students who can afford it who are part of it, and then they have students who can't, and they try to make it affordable across the board for everybody. And, uh, yeah, they keep growing. I know they've been looking at potential buildings because uh, right now they teach out of different schools in the Kansas City area. So I think it's going to be really interesting to see what happens for them in the next year or two. And uh, how it continues to grow. But it's been cool kind of seeing that, especially now that he can put all of his energy into it, seeing how that grows. And and that's our underlying thing is this idea that art can change the world, yep. you know, and it used to manifest itself through Bass Academy Music. Now that we're becoming more of a national and international brand, we're trying to figure out what's our connection to something on that level, on a national or international level. And it's been cool getting connected with War Child because they have kind of, I don't know what you call them, like operations throughout the U.S. and overseas and working to help kids who really need it. You know, I think it's a big thing in the news right now, even as we talk about the immigrant bans and those kind of things. Here's an organization trying to really provide help for people who are in these war-torn countries and not waiting on someone to do it for them. So I'm enjoying this partnership with them. Uh, It's just for this show, nothing official by any means, but I've uh, been really enjoying getting to know them. And we have a series called Art Can Change the World, a video series. And we interviewed someone from War Child a while back. I think that came out past March or something like that. It just really makes me happy that you guys are about the fans. Like, you guys are really genuine human beings who are just out there to make a difference. Like, a lot of artists nowadays aren't, but you guys aren't really getting stuck up or really in your own fame. You're still doing it for the fans, for the love of the world. Thanks, man. Yeah, that's as we try to figure out, you know, why do you want to do this every day? Uh, Because there's a lot of sacrifices along the way. That's what we keep coming back to. It's got to be something bigger than just just music. If that was what it was about, all the other things wouldn't be worth it. Like for me, I have four four kids, and that means when I'm on the road, I'm gone a lot from them. My wife has the extra, you know, where she's doing it all all on her own. If there weren't bigger purposes behind what we were doing, I just don't think it'd be worth it for anybody, <laughs> you know, anybody involved. So, and for us, it's that realization that the fans, the fans really are going to be the ones who build this. It's, it's kind of a cliche, but it, it's just true. Debuting at number 66 on the iTunes charts was because of fans, our fans from literally across the world who showed up and decided to invest in us. So we just keep trying to figure out what does that look like for us to do the same. Did you ever think growing up that you'd be where you are today? I don't know. I've had a weird uh, relationship with with music. It wasn't even something I had on my radar until my senior year of high school. It was the first time I even sang in front of people. Then even in college, I changed my majors. I wanted to go into criminology. For a season, I started my own roofing company and expanded that into like painting and expanded into installing fireplaces. And so I've done so many different things other than music. But the thing is, is the music just keeps coming back to me where it's like I can't escape it. It's something that even when I'm not doing it, I still have to do it, if that makes any sense. It's like <laughs> like during during the times where I feel like I'm running from it, all I can still want to do is write music or still want to perform or still want to play or sing. I think there's times I definitely dreamed about it, especially like in my like college years. That's when it really was a thing for me. But I think when I was younger, I... I think I had all sorts of dreams and most of them didn't 
didn't look like music. Most of them didn't look like trying to be an internationally touring band. <laughs> and uh, it wasn't until like college years where that started setting in. But then, like I said, even then I tried to run from it, I think, for a while too. But here I am. Hey, don't run from it. Run with it. Yeah. <laughs> I like it. Well played. Well played. It's a shame Zach isn't here. Right. Our, we have another co-host who makes a lot of awful puns all the time, too, and he's probably going to be upset with me for making that one because I always shoot down all of his. That's brilliant. <laughs> did you end up getting a degree in anything while you were in college? Yeah, I did finally get my degree in music. I started out in music, then I dropped out of school fully, and then went back for criminology, and then decided to finally just kind of that same thing where I was like, damn it, I can't escape music. <laughs> Like, no, I think this is what I'm meant to do, designed to do, whatever you want to call it. D. Cole has a degree in music theory, too, right? Uh, yeah, his is in percussion performance, I believe. And then mine is in Bachelor of Arts with a music lit emphasis, which basically meant I got my degree and did a lot of vocal lessons. <laughs> When I did that and try to get as much exposure to different music. I, my joke was I wasn't really there for the degree. I was just there for the voice lessons. And yeah, then our bass player, he was he was in theater for a while, but ended up dropping out. And uh, honestly, Daniel and I think that, that would have been the smartest move for us, too, because then we wouldn't have all the college debt. <laughs> and if we just would have paid somebody for private lesson and uh, started hustling back then, probably be doing a little better without as much debt. There's certain things you want to do, especially if you want to do music or be an entrepreneur, which is kind of the worlds that I live in. Um, sometimes those degrees don't pay off as much as just getting out there, learning as much as you can and just hustling because that debt, man, that, that debt can be brutal. Where can people find your music? iTunes and Spotify and SoundCloud is the three places you can go. Obviously, the bands Run With It or Run With It Band. And then the EP is called How to Start a Fire. And you're on all the major social media platforms, or at least Daniel is. Yeah, yeah, we are. I do. I do more of the Instagram, like Insta story stuff, and yeah. kind of tag team Facebook with Daniel. And then Daniel does a lot of the snap and all that. You and Daniel run the social media, and Ben just plays all the instruments. <laughs> Pretty much, we just keep adding <laughs> instruments to it more and more. So the um, social media stuff's been new to him. He's starting to dive into it though. Uh, seeing his own personal following growing now, which is pretty cool. And uh, yeah. It'll be cool. Everyone, thank you for listening. This has been Tone Deaf with Tambor, Brian, and Miguel from Run With It. Peace out. Thanks, guys.